What an absolutely gorgeous day, is it not? Of course, every day the Lord has given us is good, but this is wonderful. But uh, even more glorious than the outside is in here today, because I now have the privilege of looking at you, the Church of Jesus Christ locally manifest as Cherrydale Baptist, and I'm awfully glad you're here. Partly otherwise, I'd be speaking to myself. In August of uh, 1999, I had just become senior pastor at a church in Springfield, Ohio, and a young lady had applied for membership. She had that spring graduated from high school, and she was sitting in front of the elders and asked to share her testimony. She began that uh, she had indeed put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior when she was five years of age and that he had delivered her from her addiction to drugs and alcohol. Five years of age. It did take the elders back just a little bit, and then she put on a little grin and said, I may have embellished my testimony a little bit, I felt I needed to spice it up. <laughs> now, part of the reason that testimony is so clear in my mind and in my memory is um, that recent high school graduate was my youngest daughter, <laughs> the new pastor's offspring. <laughs> but, but here is the point. At that stage in her life, Stephanie, I don't think, fully understood the doctrine of total depravity. You see, the doctrine simply is this, that we are not as bad as we could possibly be, but we are as bad off as we could be. You see, the lie told by a five-year-old is more than enough sin to condemn her by a holy, righteous, sinless God to eternal damnation in the lake of fire, just as much as taking drugs by an adult is. For God is holy, He is without sin, and He does not allow sin into His presence. But by the wonder of His grace, He works in people's hearts, even five-year-olds, and draws them to Himself. As we already learned in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Oh, we do truly know how destructive our sins were and how truly amazing God's grace is. The Apostle Paul never recovered from being amazed by God's grace. And in verse 8 of chapter 3, he is blown away by God's undeserved merit granted to him and is overwhelmed by God's grace bestowed on him. As he says, to me. To me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was granted. It is granted to the undeserving. Saul of Tarsus 
Pharisee of the Pharisee, persecutor of the body of Christ. To me. Though the very least, that is, he literally less than the least. And the scriptures are clear that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And when we genuinely look at who we are with our sin nature and the sins that we committed against him, hopefully we'll never recover from the amazement of his grace. A persecutor of the church, yes, but far more than that, a sinner condemned by the righteousness of God. His grace is to the undeserving, but it is, leads to that transformation of life. To me, the very least of the saints, <laughs> no longer a condemned sinner, but by the grace of God and through the work of Christ, my sins are forgiven, the righteousness of Christ is granted to me, and I am now a holy one. I am one set apart to the living God. I am a saint of Jesus. Undeserving, yet leading to the transformed life, but not just that, not just being saved and delivered from eternal damnation to eternal life, but now granted the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ in His church. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach. As he says in verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul the persecutor did not deserve forgiveness, but he received it. But not just that, he has granted the joy of serving the living God, of being a part of his workings upon this earth. So the, the foundation we've just laid, that is, the subject of what Paul's talking about is God's amazing grace which allows his church to do four wonderful things. First of all, God's amazing grace allows his church to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. How amazing God's grace is that he allows you and I to share with those around us this mind-blowing, incomprehensible, unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, of all the systematic doctrines, as you study them, you realize the great vastness of the living God, but to me, always, the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of Christ, Christology, was the most overwhelming of all. <laughs> this one who walked among us in history was eternal. <laughs> Colossians, and he, Jesus, is before all things. As Jesus himself asked the question, can you explain to me 
how that David said of the Messiah that he is Lord. And of course, it is because he has always been from all eternity past. The reason for that, of course, is he is God. He is deity. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 <clears throat> who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. All the attributes of God, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, etc., etc., etc. He is God. But as Philippians continues, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He who was from eternity, truly God, came to earth and took upon him humanity fully flesh, fully like you and I in every way except without sin. The wonder of the virgin birth. <laughs> we, can, we, we understand that Jesus did not receive a sin nature from his adopted father Joseph because Joseph was not a part of the miracle of the virgin birth. It was a virgin who conceived. But we still have the problem of Mary. She talked about she needed a Savior. She had a sin nature. But in that miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit of God coming upon her and she conceiving so that the human being that she conceived was without sin nature and never once sinned, even though tempted at every point like you and I. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Genealogy. We know he is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Fully human, yet fully God. Two natures in one person without commingling of the natures and from point of conception throughout the rest of eternity. Being fully human at the end of a very exhausting day of ministry, perhaps several days of ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ with His disciples gets into a boat and starts across the Sea of Galilee, and He is so exhausted that He immediately goes to sleep. He is out for the duration, right? The storm comes. I mean, the boat is rocking and reeling and moving, and Jesus is dead asleep. They have to wake him up. And being fully God, with all the authority of the Creator, he stands in that boat and commands the wind to cease and the waves to stop. 
Paul says, I'll never recover that I've been granted the privilege of preaching the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. His person, but His work, oh, His work. He lived that righteous life without sin, fully accepted by the Father, and yet He went to the cross as a common criminal in your place and my place and took our sins upon Himself and endured the wrath of the Father. He was accepted in His sacrifice, raised from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand, and He is coming again for us. Paul says this amazing grace that He has granted to the church allows us to preach, to proclaim, to share the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And Paul got to do it to the Gentiles. <laughs> Don't you love God's sense of humor? Pharisee of the Pharisee. There was no one more separate from Gentiles than Paul, well, excuse me, Saul of Tarsus, right? The goyim, the ethnic, the other, but now, transformed by the grace of God, he has the privilege of proclaiming to the goyim the unsearchable riches of Christ. He allows the church to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to all, to the nations, to everyone, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Paul was a part of that but also to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. His ministry is not only to preach, but to enlighten, to reveal, to make known, as he says in verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the plan, the mystery, in the Old Covenant, there were the chosen people, the Jew, in covenant, and the other, the Gentiles. And in the Old Testament, made clear that Gentiles would be allowed to come into the kingdom and to convert, as Ruth did, and, and Rahab did, and, and others did, but it, it never entered their mind. It, could not read it because it wasn't exactly there that the day would come when the God-man would make it possible to bring the Jew and the Gentile together in one body, the church of Jesus Christ. It hadn't been revealed, but Paul gets the privilege of revealing that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The term manifold basically was used in the secular Greek a couple ways. One in the manifold is the uh, great tapestry, you know, with all the various colored strings and put together into this marvelous, beautiful piece of art. And the other way was flowers. My wife's a flower person. 54 years of marriage, finally, when she says, stop the car, stop the car, 
I've got to get those flowers over there. They're wild, just waiting to be picked and brought home. And it's not just red ones or yellow ones or purple ones or blue ones. I mean, it, it's the manifold. It's the glorious. It's the variety. It's the unusual. The wisdom of God through the church. Cherrydale's a very blessed church in many different ways, but one of the ways is we display this manifold, very colored wisdom of God. So today I'd like to ask your cooperation for just a moment, okay? I realize that from some of you, standing is embarrassing. I realize that. Tough. <laughs> yeah. Get, just grow up and work with me here. Okay. But I do believe we have some people right here who come from Asia. If you were born in Asia, would you be willing to stand right now? Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, the very color, the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, we have some people who are here from Europe. Would you mind standing? We're, oh, no, no, I need the Asians to still stand. Uh, I hope that's not offensive, but those who were born in Asia, okay. Those who were born in Europe, thank you. I know Mark is standing for Karen. She's actually in Germany right now. But um, For those who uh, were born in uh, the Middle East, do we have any of those? I just wasn't sure, okay. Uh, South America and Central America. If you were born in South America, Central America, would you please stand? We have some standing, amen, amen. And um, the islands, any born in the islands? And now for all the rest of us, if you were born in North America, would you please stand? <laughs> oh. oh, did I not say, oh, that was, that's why I was, uh, please uh, sit down North Americans, you're not, you're too soon. Would those who were born in Africa please stand? My own granddaughter, I thought I'll get to have my granddaughter stand, and I blew it. Now, North Americans, uh, you're probably obnoxious Americans mostly anyway, so uh, we just get ahead of ourselves. Now, here's the kicker, okay? Now, here's the kicker, right? Because you know who this manifold wisdom of God is displayed for? The angels, the principalities that are in heaven. The unfallen angels who never rebelled and never experienced the grace of God and the rebellious angels who are fallen, who have experienced rebelling against God but never have and never will experience His grace are looking down at us saying, that's what His grace is like. Thank you for your cooperation. Be seated. God's amazing grace allows His church to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to all and to reveal this manifold wisdom of God to the angels. You've heard it said that when you worship, you are worshiping to an audience of one. And there's great truth in that, right? But it's not the whole truth. 
For not only are we worshiping to the one true God, but to the angels of heaven, so that they might understand the wonder of his grace. He continues and shares with us that God's amazing grace allows his church to worship God freely in his presence. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, so that God's eternal purpose is made known. Sinners, now saints, become his possession, and we have the ability to boldly, with boldness, approach the throne to have freedom of speech. Howard Hendricks used to have Bible studies throughout Dallas, and um, often the Lord would bring someone new into the faith through those Bible studies. And, and Howard Hendricks would always quickly say, well, why don't you lead us in prayer? Well, they had never really prayed much before, and especially not out loud. And and so he always would chuckle a little bit, and he'd say, um, as they started to pray, they, they often say, well, well, this is Joe. And he would go on to say, well, maybe they're just going to give their address as well. I mean, but could you imagine? Total condemned by God's righteous judgment, now allowed into his very presence having maybe not been there before. But God accepts the freedom of our speech. He allows us boldly to worship Him and to seek His help in supplication and request. And grants us access <laughs> with boldness and access um, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was one of the great preachers of the 20th century, and in his um, academic years, um, he had spent some time in the Alps of France. And while he was there, he pastored a, a small uh, reformed church, and once a week he would leave that village and go to another village for a class for instruction. And every week as he would start to leave the village and go towards the other one, he would meet the local priest who, of that village who was also on his way to instruction to another village. And they would meet, and uh, over time they kind of became friends, often spend 10, 15 minutes together talking. And, and one day the priest looked at Donald Barnhouse and said to him, why don't you pray to the saints? And Dr. Barnhouse looked at him and he says, well, why should I? And the priest said, well, suppose you wanted to meet the president of France. Why, uh, you couldn't just go into his presence, but what you might do is, is go to the um, um, agricultural department or the interior department and, and ask the secretary of the interior if uh, he would introduce you to the president. 
And with a big smile on his face, he concluded, assuming that uh, he had given the perfect illustration, there would be no response to it whatsoever. And Dr. Barnhouse looked back at him and said, but, but suppose I'm the son of the president of France. And uh, that morning, as I finished my breakfast, I kiss my papa on the cheek as he goes off to his office. And then I go to find the, under, the assistant to the undersecretary of the interior who might then introduce me to the secretary of the interior who maybe then might bring me into the president's office so I can say, hi, papa. You see, he said, I am a child of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and I have access into the very presence of God myself. This amazing grace allows us collectively, as the church, to enter his presence with freedom of speech and to have full access as he says at the end of chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2 and verse 21, he talks about the fact that uh, we are being built, he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. God's amazing grace allows us, his church, to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus to the world, to all. He allows us to reveal the manifold wisdom of God, Jew and Gentile together in one body, male and female together in one body, old and young together in one body, the ethnic together in one body, the wonder of his grace. And he allows us, his church, to worship freely in his presence together. And that's a result. Paul gives admonition. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. They knew that Paul, as he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. They know that Paul is under house arrest in Rome and has lost his freedom they know that it is because he has been commissioned to take the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. And they're doubting God's goodness and plan. They're losing heart, becoming discouraged because of Paul's suffering. And he says, don't lose heart. Don't you understand it is for your glory? 
that I, the least of all the less, have this great privilege by His grace to have been involved in seeing you come to trust Jesus and enter into the wonder of His new life. And should His grace include suffering right now, don't you understand how blessed I am? How good God is? How much He has revealed Himself in the midst of my suffering to draw me to Him. Oh, I trust that we never, ever recover from His amazing grace. Father, we sit in awe, and I personally stand in awe of you today. Help us to never recover from the wonder of what you've done, that which we did not deserve you have granted to us of life eternal, that which we should not be able to do, you allow us to serve you, to serve your church, and to reach out to people with this great good news. Oh, I ask that when we leave today, we will leave in wonder, that when we worship you in song, we will do so with amazement, that when we enter your presence together with corporate prayer, that we will Realize what freedom we have to be in your presence. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the wonder of your work in our lives. We do pray for those who have yet to respond to this amazing grace that this might be that day where they understand who you are and what you've done and put their trust in you as their Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.